Welcome to Empathy Power Up, a collaboration of two people who connected during the pandemic through their love of empathy and action. Two people from very different backgrounds, helping each other find ways to love themselves, understand their experiences better, and help reverse the rise of narcissism and the divides in our communities. We will cover various topics about the human experience to help us power up on tools of empathy and emotional intelligence in the pursuit of one simple goal, create a world where people seek to understand themselves and each other. This is a learning journey amongst fellow humans. We're all just figuring out life together. This is the way it's always been done. It's a phrase that I've heard more times than I can count in my career. As someone who often brings in change, many people I found are defensive and resistant to changing themselves. And this phrase reminds me of a time when I was attempting to modernize a federal government agency and the agency's lawyers warned us about the unions that were there and that the, those unions have overturned any change that's happened in the workforce in the past 25 years. So I clearly remember them saying to me in a meeting, don't think this is going to be a walk in the park. This is going to be a bar fight. And it had been a hostile environment for progress to be made. But like those unions that block progress, our culture and many organizations' leaders are doing that same thing every day on a smaller scale. It is not a safe space. These individuals don't want to or see the need to change, and they might get defensive when you point out their flaws or areas of improvement. They're living in an alternative universe where they choose not to see the harm that they cause and live in denial that they're even inflicting harm. It leads to a mindset that there is only one way to do work, to see things in black and white. So this feeling that I am right and you are wrong, and there is no gray area. So the person who inspired this work that we are talking about today, Tema Okun, writes that this type of thinking creates an oppressive culture where people are afraid to speak their truth. And there's two specific concepts we're talking about today, defensiveness and denial. And these are characteristics of our culture and is the topic of today's dialogue and are really blockers towards a more compassionate and empathetic world. So Kevin, I wanna ask you, what do you think about these concepts and how have they come up in your life? Yeah, I think it's such an important topic because we, we see this in our day-to-day -day life. Um, I recently saw a meme online that's that essentially what I understood and took away from the meme was that defensiveness and denial are tools used by the people suffering from narcissism when they're accused of doing something harmful that they truly have done. And then they're defending and denying. And because again, it's that lack of accountability, that sense of I am all, I am great type system. And especially these are people in power. And it, it was something that I, I saw role modeled by the former president and many leaders currently in both business and politics and just general community leaders where I think the idea of uh, 
making a mistake and then being vulnerable and open about it and holding ourselves accountable and then doing the harm is seen as weak, is not seen as a strength or a courage or is is somehow that fear is built in. And I, I think a lot of it is the way we were growing up is when we make a mistake, you get punished. I, I used to get that a lot growing up, right? You get, you make a mistake, you get punished. So, and I didn't stop making mistakes. I just got better at hiding them or defending myself or denying that I made those mistakes and just got better at lying. And that's what the system has done. And it comes from this culture where vulnerability is stigmatized, where negative and the stick is more is used more than the uh, love is used and then creating a space where mistakes are okay and we can learn from them and it's healthy to have a conversation around them and hold ourselves accountable and understand the impact of our mistakes. And I I see this show up more in our culture in this, in a like a softer way, in like a simpler digestible way, which is like the word tradition. Tradition is used as a way to propagate so many practices which have harmful and toxic impacts. Uh, my mom told me during my last visit when I went to India and saw her um, last year and that she plainly just told me after, after a very heavy week of conversations that her tradition, her attachment to society and religion comes before her kids and family. And and I understand where she's coming from. This is coming from a dark place, and and she's holding on to tradition because that's what she says she grew up with, and that's what it's been, and that's how it's always been, and that's what's been there for her. Whereas the kids, I left and went and lived my own life, and she feels a little bit abandoned in that sense. Again, practicing empathy for her, <laughs> but um, this idea of tradition or why change something when it ain't broke or why do people um like why do people who have abusive partners or family members go back to their abusers like this idea i think it comes the tradition is that sense of familiarity there's comfort in that there's comfort in familiarity there's comfort in i've done this all my life and if i change now my whole past is going to be what was the point right all these negative thoughts start coming in the fear starts bubbling in and that fear drives a lot of choices and perspectives we have. Traditions help. Um, I'm not saying traditions are bad. There's lots of things we can learn from it. Um, but and it helps pass on things that have worked in previous gen generations. But it also passes on things that may have only worked for a small set of people or just the people in power or just a small group of folks. And so that familiarity has a strong pull. Family has strong pull. Familiarity has a strong pull. And I see that. And I think we bias to that point rather than understanding why is this tradition important? Is it helping me? Is it helping others? Um, so the question I sort of explore when I start thinking about this idea of traditions and, and the idea of defense and denial as a, as a toxic characteristic of our system and culture that we live in is... Um, who are these unintentionally impacting? Traditions might help someone who's practicing them, but who is it negatively impacting? Maybe unintentionally. Is it working for me? And who is it not working for? And I think if we understand that, that's a healthy way to reflect on some of those past traditions because tradition is often used as a way to defend someone's position and deny other people's mm -hmm. uh, reality. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I really find this very interesting because... 
we're, we rarely stop to answer those questions because traditions, like, like I was saying at the beginning of the, 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 the episode here, like it's the way we've always done it. So why question it? <laughs> um, why do we hold on to them? Who created them? Then who benefits, who loses when holding these traditions and the values we hold dear? And honestly, if you're the traditions we hold are our values are baked into those, you know? And so if you benefit from it, it does not naturally occur to you that you should think of other people. And because we really, really aren't taught that way, it's like we've always been doing it. So um, I, I've been thinking deeper recently about this idea of like, that we kind of bounce around life, living an unexamined life where we don't really question what we're doing or who we're harming. <laughs> and, <Yeah. laughs> and I think it's becoming like, it's, it's turning around in the pandemic in, in particular um, because we're having greater awareness now. But um, I think it's, it, these things stick, these traditions stick because it's not broken for the people in power. We're not really, if for those who are, who are the, in the dominant culture, um, it's the way it's always been done. It's not broken for the people who have power, but the people who don't have power are keenly aware that they do not have it and do not have the agency to change themselves in the world. Um, so when I was thinking about this episode in particular, I was thinking about looking at the definitions of these two words um, that we're, we're exploring today. And defensiveness is the first one, which is defined as serving to defend or protect and denial is defined as the act of declaring something to be untrue. And that involves discounting their, your own, um, other people's beliefs and value systems in favor of yours. Ah. So your, 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 what you think and believe is more important than the beliefs and values of others. So when I look at these, both of these definitions, I have a lot of existential questions. What are we defending or protecting? And what is true? What is untrue? And how do we think we know the difference? I mean, I think those are great questions. I think it's, 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 and thinking about those words and leaning into it, I, I think it, what it does is these questions and further elaborates the problem that we need, that, that the need of defensiveness and denial in our system, it, that that need exists. The toxicity of our culture forces people who feel unnecessarily threatened. And I, I use the word unnecessarily very in, intentionally here. Mm -hmm. Unnecessarily threatened. These are fears that have been manifested maybe from their childhood trauma or whatever system generation, all, we don't know their stories. So I'm not going to say they're, um, but it's not something that has any high risk of really coming true. So unnecessarily threatened in, in, and threatening their powerful position and to employ that. So people in power feel unnecessarily threatened that their position is, is a threat for some reason, because they might, if they say I made this mistake or something, um, and then they, what that, what that does is that, that implies, let me take these tools of defending myself, defending myself, and then denying what I did or denying the other people's truth or any, or their existence or their reality or any of those aspects. And, um, so I imagine a world where defensiveness and denial are needs that become rare. 
Defending one's position implies lack of listening and holding on the and holding on to my intent rather than understanding the impact of what I've done or the impact that's happened to others. And that's what ends up happening is let's say, um, let's say I accidentally bumped into you and you hurt a little, right? And I could defend like, oh, so, like I, I could say, sorry, oh, I hurt you and understand your impact. Like, oh, it looks like I hurt you and not care about, I'm centering you because you were, the impact was to you. But what's happening is, and uh, instead we end up centering ourselves or I end up centering myself when we apply, when we use the tools of defending and denial. I could say, oh, I didn't bump into you. You, you might've tripped. Or I'm defending myself. Oh, uh, you know what? I, I, I tripped. So that accidentally hit you. And I start creating this narrative to make my narcissistic self or whatever in our self feel better and centering myself in that narrative, in that position and forgetting and, and focusing on my intent rather than focusing on the impact. Um, and I used to be this way. I was unaware of my narcissism. I would defend my intention or my position and I even bend the truth and to make the make it fit the narrative that I it was in my head and the, like the I'm the hero of the story and I'm the person in the right and that this is right and wrong and you talked about that gray area and I was like oh oh this is, oh wow that person's like blah 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 and I'm like oh amazing and that that is where the lens is broken that's where this system is broken I think it's I think it it's all about impact and I think the question that comes up is. Uh, that we should use to reflect instead of going straight to defense and denial, which is usually the first reaction and maybe take that moment to pause is what is the impact and is it intentional? And what are the both unintentional and intentional impact of my action or what I have done? And if we sort of focus on mm -hmm. that and center mm -hmm. that it takes away the need to be defensive or denying something in my opinion, but it is, a, it, mm -hmm. I, I'm making it sound simpler and easier than the reality of it. And I understand <laughs> that. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, it, it's, it's very, all this stuff is nuanced thinking. And something I was thinking about earlier today is like new, like sometimes most people don't get the nuance, right. Whether it's intentional or unintentional and, and something that's coming to mind for me is this recent example of like book banning that's happening in school districts around the country. And this is like very tangible exhibit exhibit about what's happening. And so in one district, um, a high school librarian was adding several books that talked about the queer experience so that her students could explore feelings that would be having, they would be having in, while they're developing. The librarian was called out by a name at a school board meeting and is it was kind of like labeled as a menace to their community by several parents who believed that she was brainwashing their children. Um, so this is denying conversation, um, conversations for these, these, uh, queer students and also the other students on the other side who are curious about their colleagues, right. Or like, I mean, they're students, they're not colleagues, but they're students <laughs> that are with them. And, and like, I'm trying to think about on one side of the spectrum, like, what are they so afraid of? Um, and so the librarian said something very powerful when they interviewed her for this podcast, and I still remember it. And she said, I want to prioritize the safety of queer kids over the discomfort of adults. And, and, and it made me really think about like, 
you're exactly right. The adults completely lose sight of what really matters here is that the children are finding out who, who they are and the resources that are saving lives. And also that's helping these children kind of blossom and to who they really are rather than that traditional way of what they want them, the parents want them to be. And then because I like to see both sides of the spectrum, like I also put myself in the shoes of the parents and had some empathy for them. And I try to think about being in the school meeting and, and being, and like being so full of like all these feelings and emotions that are coming out. So like the one that comes true for me or for these folks is they're driven by fear that what they're valuing won't be what their kids value. And perhaps they're, they're fearing that their children will be bullied if they're in fact LGBTQ, right? So those are valid fears and those are valid, you know, concerns. Um, maybe they, they, there's assumptions that, you know, that these, these parents are having that are saying that it will lead them to the kids to have sex sooner. Um, and, and I think ultimately it means that the roadmap that they think their child should take is not the road that they, the parents think that they should take. And it's, I think it's, it's in, you know, and pulling myself out of that for a little bit, I think it's, um, you know, it's, it's terrifying on my side of the spectrum, but it's terrifying for them. They're like, oh my gosh, I don't know this. This is unfamiliar to me. Um, and it made me think about also that fear is such a powerful emotion. So when I think about this scenario, and I, if I bring this scenario into the workplace, I think that many of us are driven by fear that our values, our needs, our comfort will be shaken to the core. And so we really cling to the security blanket, our comfort, uh, because it feels safe to us. And because we are wrapped up in like a burrito and this, this comfort, um, when someone calls us out on it, it makes us defend this because this is who we are, right? We defend our way. This way is the only right way. And then any other path is untrue, which is the not denial. And, mm -hmm. and, but it discounts that other person's experience of so many different people. And, and so I think this is really blocking progress and we must really step into discomfort and rely, realize that there isn't just one way and that, and every path is valid and has value. So I'm thinking, Kevin, um, now that it brought up this story, um, it leads me to think like, how might we prioritize safety over comfort? Yeah. I mean, this this idea of right to comfort is 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 such a is such another characteristic of this toxic culture, and I think we're going to talk about that in a future episode. Mm -hmm. And um, it's it's generally um, this right that people in power and privilege seem seemingly feel entitled to, because I am comfortable, and my comfort is more important than whatever you, your your life is. And and I understand that life is complex, it's nuanced, it's complicated, it's, it's all of that happens. But it's it's nice to feel comfortable. I feel like it feeling comfortable. That I get it. It's very difficult to move from comfort to discomfort. It is a it it takes energy. It takes effort. It takes all of that. So I think um, 
but to grow, we need to move into healthy discomfort. We need to be uncomfortable to grow as people. And, and so when we are comfortable, we are comfortable. We're not growing. When we're comfortable, we're, we, we're in our little cocoon and or whatever that is, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so um, coming back to your question, I, 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 would, I would sort of think about the question in a uh, sort of rephrase the question and how do we help people who are scared of leaving their comfort so they understand the impact and the lack of safety of others? And I think that's where it is, is, is we need to help those people understand. And this is where empathy comes into play. We have to be empathetic towards them. I hear, I see this on LinkedIn. I see this all over the days, people calling each other racists or things like that. And immediately defense has come up and denying comes up, right? And name calling it and, and demonizing each other. And even people who consider themselves aware or or more aware of the situation or more emotionally intelligent, it's, it's definitely something that I see still. And it pushes people further into their comfort zone. And we're going to explore this topic much more in detail, but I say we should put the responsibility back on us. We have to look at where the scale of power is, who is in the situation, and and in that situation, who has more power, and who is doing the defi- defense and denial. And maybe try to create a space of, of sharing, instead of saying, you are this, sharing, the impact to me is this. Our whole conversation needs to become, this is what caused, this is how it made me feel. This is how it impacted me. And not giving other people a sense of uh, name calling or identity. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I like the whole time you were like talking about that. I was thinking like this, the, the idea of calling in versus calling out um, is like calling out is, is not really um, changing any behavior or helping people learn, but calling in is this, this mentality. And I, and I don't know the person's name off the top of my head. We can put in the show notes, but what I'm thinking about is like calling in allows you to have a dialogue and conversation um, with that person. And, and I think when we're defensive, when we're denying the experiences of other people, all of these things are connected to power, like you were saying. And, um, you know, to add some more definitions, because that's where I start a lot of times is that um, power is this ability for individuals to influence the behavior of others. And, um, and looking past on history, those who have influence are also usually in the dominant culture in an organization, in a company, in even society. And, and when I was writing my book, I created an entire chapter on this idea of power and I call it the elephant in the room um, because this power dynamic is really, really interesting. Um, and when, when we're engaging in defensiveness and denial, uh, people are afraid to lose face, to lose power or status, and even their privilege um, that they've become accustomed to, that like blanket that I was talking about before. Um, they don't really know other ways to live. And so that powerful emotion of fear comes back and they then we cling to their beliefs that we've held close and resist any other way. And uh, Tema Okun um, also wrote about, about this and she mentions that when those in power are afraid to lose power or status, it can lead them to feel unseen and unheard. And I think this is a really important point that it also makes them feel unsafe 
and leave their comfort zone. So, so what might happen, and this is the more nuance here, but these people might feel resentment towards you and resentment is also a form of defensiveness. So it really is important for us who hold the power to help evolve ourselves because in this kind of power dynamic that we have, the person who holds the power um, is the one that's going, that kind of needs to change themselves at the end of the day, right? Uh, because the person without power is trying to do anything that they can to do to survive. So when I think about this in uh, in a bigger way, um, I at the beginning of that chapter around power, there's this quote that I think best describes how power should be thought of and bringing power together. And it's by um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And it says, one of the great problems of history is that the concepts of love and power have usually been contrasted as polar opposites. So that love is identified with a resignation of power and a power with a denial of love. And what is needed is a realization that power without love is reckless and abusive, and that love without power is sentimental and anemic. Power at its best is love implementing the demands of justice, and justice at its best is power correcting everything that stands against love. And so I I see here that Dr. King is saying that power and love should coexist here and that this love is this kind of love he talks about of beloved community where we care for and take care of each other and helping meet each other's needs getting to that compassionate community and and you know obviously we're still not in that that place but it's almost utopian but it is a place we can get to so i think there's there's much more things that we can talk about but how do we think about focusing, bringing love and power together. And at the end of the day, it's how do you start seeding power instead of having power over someone where you influence another person, start sharing power with each other. You know, how can you be seen as equals here and your experience is valid and my experience is valid together. Um, And ultimately we'd love to get to a place of power too, where there's this idea of of how might we, um, the power dynamic is flipped and then the people who are around us, like if we are a leader, uh, the people around us have more power than we do um, in a bigger way. And so uh, this this idea of um, the power dynamics is from just associates um, and they make this distinction of the three ways. And so power over, power with, power to. So at the end of the day, having a deeper sense of empathy requires us to cede that power to others instead of having power over each other. Um, so, so that's something that that I've been in, incorporating in a lot of the conversations I've been having. Yeah, and I think it's it's so important. Like this, sharing power enables us to lower our defenses. It enables us to uh, sort of share that okay we're all in this together we're all figuring life out together and um and like you said that they're not the people who are defending and denying are likely not feeling seen or heard themselves and i think that is a fundamental need for life to thrive feel to 
be seen, be heard, be understood. Absolutely. And, and, and that, that feeling, um, and this feeling of, um, of power shows up a lot in, and feeling seen and heard shows up a lot in, in this community that I'm part of called adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families, or, or um, more simply called ACA. Um, so it's a support group from, but for me, it's so much more. Um, it's a healing community where we can be better humans and this idea of power. And this is, you know, looking at how we can get out of defensiveness and denial. Um, when I started thinking about this is that this process that we have in ACA, ACA, um, how, which helps us begins with coming out of denial and into the light. So, you know, coming out of denial, not being defensive, realizing that this per- first important big step is that we have power again to be actors in our own life. So we can realize that the way we're living might hurt ourselves and hurt other people. So, um, but it's, it's not saying that, uh, that we're, we're better than anybody else. Uh, we can actually just like have a lot more awareness. We can be able to stop the cycle of dysfunction and not live in the way that we were raised to be. Um, and at the end of the day, I have a responsibility to process what happened and what's happening so that I may make the next generations and people around me live happier and fuller lives. Yeah, and, and I think this sort of comes back to the story of um, when I had to come out of the atheist closet to my mom, who was very, very religious. And in there, when I told her and my reasons and what, and you know, her reaction was, you're just a very arrogant person and you're going to get punished and you see, watch out, things like that. And it was, and and for me, it was a moment of breaking that cycle. It was, it was because it was not serving me. It was harming me. It was hurting me. I was practiced. I was very re- in the religion and I was practicing it, but it just got worse and I could see, and I still see my mom deep in it and she finds comfort in it, familiarity in it, but it's, it's, she's, I, from my perspective, she doesn't seem happy in life. And so, mm-hmm. but I think what ends up happening is in, in this whole function of like this dysfunction and this denying and defending and denying my truth where she denied my truth and denied my existence by just saying, Oh, you're going to get punished and blah, blah, blah. I lost trust in her, continue to lose trust. And I think that's what happens when we defend, when we deny, we lose trust with each other. And a lot of people talk about how did we lose trust in each other? How did our culture and people are fighting and we're getting more divided? It's because we we're denying each other's truth. We're denying our story because for some reason we're trying to protect something that again i don't think exists and and so that breaking of the trust is is definitely uh one of the outcomes that comes from this this culture the characteristics of denial and defensiveness oh yeah i i'm thinking about trust but i'm but it's just like it just seems like we're just talking of not we're talking at each other and not with each other yeah yeah i use that all the time at work (laughs) yeah And also just like this idea of like, what is true? And like, you know, people, so many people are lying. So at the end of the day, so, so like, there's like, what is lies? What is true? Like this idea of untrue and defensiveness. So there's a lot that we still need to learn and unpack and unravel here. 
Um, but we've included quite a bit in, in this episode. So I wanted to summarize our main points that can overcome defensiveness and denial. So the thing that we can do is focus on ourselves and understand that the power dynamics that are happening in a situation and help respond thoughtfully with love and justice, like Dr. King would say. And the person with the power has greater responsibility to name and move through that um, defensiveness and the resistance. Um, But, you know, if everybody comes with this mindset, even better (laughs) at the end of the day. And the larger question we have is, how might you stop the cycle of dysfunction and come out of denial? And we also have a series of other questions that came up in the conversation. So number one, um, who, who are our traditions unintentionally impacting? If it's working for me, who is it not working for? Number two, what are we defending or protecting? What is true and what is untrue? And how do we know the difference? And the final question we have is how might we prioritize safety over comfort. So to summarize, all of these things have to do with power. We have to, we have to step into that place and, and really ask these questions so that we might be able to live in better um, community with people and feel like we can be more trustworthy and trust and, and care for each other at the end of the day. Empathy Power Up is produced by Amy J. Wilson and Kevin Shaw, two people who bonded over their love for creating a deeper sense of empathy in the world. You can reach Amy at Real Amy J. Wilson and Kevin at Shaw Kevin.